This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to... uh, (laughs) Welcome to EMS 2020. Um, I just wanted to tell you guys that I really appreciate y'all listening. Today's going to be a fun episode. And I, I'm basically, I'm being nice to the listeners now uh, because Spencer wanted me to come in blind. And when and if I fuck this up, I want you guys to remember my kindness that I just displayed. I'm not, you know, I just remember it's there. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm just fucked, aren't I? I mean, you know what I am going to do is check a, <laughs> check a GDCVG. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Uh, Spence, why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about our call tonight since you're since you're bringing right. it all in? So I'm so I'm dude. I'm so excited about this one. All right, so I we're going to review this neat little call submitted to us, uh, and it has an inherent question that I will be posing to Chris. Did the medic miss? All right. And I don't want to give too much more away. Uh, so let's move on for the moment to what's really important to the show. Getting us beer. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So the, the quest for Um Hops has actually had some promising leads. There are several of you and we appreciate you and you know who you are. One person has actually managed to locate the alcohol itself. And we are working on actually getting it to us, which is proving so hard. Um, so if yeah. there's anyone out there that knows how to ship alcohol across the U S and can help, that's the level of expertise we're looking for right now. Um, here, yeah, it turns out you can't just like FedEx somebody beer. No, uh, yeah, it's and- not legal. <laughs> <laughs> and it changes state to state like Oregon's kind of like, yeah, ship. I, I don't care. Um, but each state has its own rules for both shipping out of itself and receiving. So you can't. So like it's not. Yeah, you have to find things that are compatible. There are ways to ship vendor to vendor. Uh, and we have had people like be like, hey, if I just buy it, maybe I'll just have a vendor ship to a vendor near you. And a lot of the vendors are like, yeah, that no, I, we're not. I'm not going to mess with your shit. Like, like, I'm not like I'll ship to my own chain in other states, but I'm not doing this for you. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. We're kind of stuck on, on this. And what I think one thing we may have to do, maybe we may have to somehow basically find a local vendor that can get us the beer. And then to the person out there that actually has it in possession, maybe we'll do an episode with that person where we all just try the beer together. And that would be fun. But that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking going forward with the whole hops thing. We'll see. It's, it's, it has proven to be a challenge. It's sort of like yeah. when you get told to go to a post and you're like, oh, man, I love this yeah. post because there's this restaurant there and, and I course, can eat at the restaurant. Of we will pay that person the minimum that uh, or not the minimum, whatever, whatever they they won, what we what we promised, which is minimum of fifty dollars and double. Uh, it's double what they paid to a minimum of fifty dollars, max of two hundred. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Spence, yeah. I didn't cut you off. I just if that person was listening, they're like, "Hey, fuckers, I don't want to hang out with you. I want the money. <laughs> I, I want to like, 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 no, no. like keep listening, keep listening." <laughs> you know, like, 
no, anyway. no, no. It's a good caveat. No, so then there you are. You're about to go to the place where that one restaurant is that has the awesome food that you really like on shift. Yeah. And then you drop a call and you don't get close to it at all. And then oh, you get to go back. You're so close. Uh, and then another, you know, another call drops and you get pulled away from it again. Just that sad. is that's that's sort of what the zoom hops thing is. Yeah. But you know what? We're not going to stop. We're not going to no. stop. There are no stops until we have um hops. <laughs> Sorry. That's the best I got. All right. We have a little bit of housekeeping as well. We have a correction, or I guess not really necessarily a correction, but uh, a pertinent question. Maybe something we, some research we should have gotten on a previous episode. Absolutely. So uh, a listener, uh, Casey, emailed us or Actually, I don't know. Is it email if it comes over Facebook Messenger? Uh, I'm not sure how we, this works. We got a message over Facebook Messenger. Correct. <laughs> a, a, a DM, I believe the kids call it. Uh, Slide into our DMs. <laughs> hey, you know, it's all good. So, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, Casey Anderson. Uh, Casey Anderson had a question. So Casey Anderson writes. Uh, uh, so Casey Anderson wrote us. Uh, hey, guys, this is the best show ever. I recommend it to everybody. I may be exaggerating, but anyway, hey guys, I just had a question from the Wait You Did What episode, uh, which is was fantastic, by the way. For those of you guys who don't know, in Wait You Did What, uh, we have a patient that was given nitroglycerin inappropriately um, by a med aid, uh, their blood pressure tanked, and uh, I believe the patient ends up coding as well, uh, but they yep. ended up actually having an airway obstruction at the end of the day. They were... Um, eating food, got a big old bowl of food stuck in their airway, and that may have caused them to vagal down. We're not exactly sure what caused it, but it caused their blood pressure to drop. They seem to be pointing to their chest as a problem, so the Med-Aid gave them nitroglycerin. Um, but Casey writes, uh, I was curious about whether that ambulance service uses end tidal CO2 monitoring as part of their cardiac arrest protocol, and if so, did they notice uh, any poor... Uh, or abnormal tracing. Our protocols in Australia focus on early insertion of an eye gel in cardiac uh, arrest to secure the airway so long as no obstruction noted in the upper airway. Uh, with subsequent and removal and inspection of the lower airway in the presence of a stiff BBM bag, inadequate chest rise fall, and poor capnography tracing. Um, so this is a very good point that was brought up. And just to be dead honest, we didn't think to ask and we didn't have the information because obviously if you have an airway obstruction, you're not going to get uh, an end tidal reading because there's no <laughs> exhaled CO2, which is exactly what end tidal CO2 is. So, yep. uh, yeah, that is a very good point. And I wish we, we would have addressed <laughs> it. I don't know this crew because if you guys go back and listen to the episode, like the crew was fairly the call did not get run well. Uh, the first paramedic gets kind of uh, ran over by the second oncoming paramedic. And it, it's kind of pandemonium ensues. I, I could see them being like, gosh, I'm not getting an entitled reading. Oh, well, I don't know what's wrong with it. I could see that being more of the case, just kind of like listening to this call. Um, but regardless, it is an absolutely excellent observation by Casey Anderson. And uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a, that's a solid, uh, I'm going to call that a solid miss on my part and uh, throw you under the bus with me there, Chris. Uh, yeah, no, it is it a solid miss. On never even part. thought to, no. never even thought to ask, <laughs> you know, but that's why, you know, it's just us two guys. We really depend on listeners to, yeah. you know, listen in and, and write us with their ideas on calls. 
Um, and so it's super appreciated. And then we get to come out with uh, little corrections like this and go like, yeah. yep. Yeah. Well, and hey, I, and also I'd like to point out that like, uh, I mean, th- this is a big enough find that had it been something that was on my mind when we were researching the call, it would have made it into the episode as a major point because it is kind of a major point is uh, yeah. like, hey, like end title would have been a big clue as to what was going on in this. And it was absolutely missed. And that is something that we definitely put a should have been in there. So, Casey, thank you so much for correcting us. And with that, Spence, stop stalling. Let's just get it. All right. <clears throat> shoot, Today, me, shoot me in the head. <laughs> Jesus. Today slash tonight's call takes place in a rural EMS system. Our source described this system as this. Essentially, it's a small town. It has a local volunteer fire department, which serves the community as well as 40 square mile area around the town. It's strictly volunteer, including the job of transporting patients in the ambulance. All right. Four of the 15 members uh, that uh, are volunteers uh at this service staff the ambulance on the ems side okay. uh only one of those four is a paramedic and again they're all volunteers one of the questions i had and i'm sure many people have is hey so what happens if no one's available well then uh they start tapping they being dispatch starts tapping the next towns over to see if any of their volunteers can respond Or in the case of really significant events, they might tap two departments uh, simultaneously in the hopes to get enough providers for one call. Um, Average call volume for the system is about 110 EMS calls a year. So it is not a very busy system. So I will not dwell on the system uh, too much, but just to kind of flesh out a couple things. So when we say strictly volunteer, there's a couple different ways that systems will do volunteer. You have some system where you have volunteers doing shifts and there's always volunteers there and there's a baseline level of compensation they receive. Um, But that's really only possible if you live in a town where you're, Basically, your taxpayers can't afford that, where the taxes you receive from the town can actually afford that. That's not present in all towns. And the smaller the town, the harder it is to afford such staffing. So a lot of times these volunteers respond from home if they're available. And that kind of sounds like what they have going on here. All the volunteers respond from home when they're available. And in this case... They may not be available. Um, So, yeah, because with only 110 EMS calls per year, that kind of funding is probably not the priority. As crazy as it may seem to some of us that live in EMS rich systems, it's not not always. Yeah, it's not not always a priority for people. Yeah. So. All right. So the call we're reviewing got dispatched out at 1846 on a blustery, cold, snowy January evening. The call is for an elderly female reporting to have abdominal pain. And we're certain it was in 1847. It was absolutely at 1846. Okay, because 1847, that changes the call. I mean, by a minute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. the butterfly effect, of course. Very true. (laughs) Yeah. Now, this call actually got dispatched out to a neighboring fire district, but unfortunately, there were no EMTs or paramedics in that district who were able to respond. Oh, Thus, shit. Nostradamus, a Ooh. volunteer EMT firefighter, and his brother, Pierre, a firefighter too, who happens to be uniquely qualified to handle the incredibly complex, highly difficult task of driving slash operating an ambulance. They are tasked to respond to this call. <laughs> Fun fact. Michelle de Nostradam, Latinized as Nostradamus, actually had nine siblings, 
Pierre was in fact one of them. The more you know. <laughs> I feel like if I was Pierre, I'd feel a little bit uh, slighted, like because uh, these are very clearly like French names, and uh, I would feel a little bit slighted in the sense that it's like, and uh, yeah, here's your older brother, Nostra Thomas. Oh, what's my name? Uh, Pierre. And let's move on. You know, it's like, yeah. no. Well, I mean, technically, his name in the in the household was, was like, no, no, no. Fuck that guy. His name is Michelle. Like, I know who he is. He's yeah. like, Nostra. Yeah, now you're Nostradamus, you asshole. <laughs> now that you made a few predictions. Yeah. Now that, now that an eight ball that mom and dad got you, got you some fame. <laughs> nice. Mm. All right. So I'm referring to Nostradamus. a magic eight ball, by the way. I'm not suggesting that Nostradamus' parents has got him like an eight ball, which is a combination of uppers and downers. <laughs> I believe there's heroin and cocaine both in there. Uh, that's not what I'm talking oh, that's about. That's speed ball. That's a speed ball? Oh, okay. What's an eight ball? Speed ball. Uh, God, we clearly like quarter, do drugs. Quarter ounce of heroin. Oh, I don't know. Now we have to Google it. But regardless, <laughs> your drug habit aside, Nostradamus <laughs> has been an EMT for about one year at the time of this call. But importantly, they don't work full time as an EMT. They volunteer. They do have a career in public service, uh, but they are not full time providers. All right. So. As Nostradamus and Pierre drive code three to the scene, which is about 14 miles of driving. Well done, Pierre. Nostradamus has a premonition. They feel that this call will be something more than the standard sick old lady. They don't know why. That was just (laughs) the feeling that they got. So Uh, dispatch, dispatch doesn't give a lot of information beyond essentially like you're going to an an 80 year old lady with abdominal pain. The radios are poor in their area. They do, however, hear that two EMRs from the other district have arrived at the scene and they hear that the paramedic from their area is in route POV. The paramedic responding is described as a lifer and someone that Nostradamus really respects and looks up and looks up to. Oh, good. He has 25 years experience, works as a paramedic full time outside of being a volunteer. We shall dub him Abraham. Abraham is the quintessential EMS guru for the station. He's in charge of EMS training for the department, and he is the go-to person for all EMS related stuff. He's described as this cool, calm, and incredibly helpful guy. And so uh, he is en route, but just a little bit behind Michelle de Nostradam and Pierre. Sorry, Nostradamus. <laughs> so Nostradamus and Pierre arrive at the scene. The scene, by the way, is a well-kept rural farmhouse. The crew departs and enters through the open garage to gain access into the home. The two EMRs from uh, from that district are there, and th- but they step back on Nostradamus' arrival and let him, the highest level provider, do his thing. So Nostradamus sees an 80-year-old, 165-pound female sitting upright in a chair in the dining room with her arms covering her lower abdomen. And his doorway impression is this. I see a lady who looks uncomfortable, but otherwise not really sick. Skin and mentation appear normal. Mm-hmm. Introductions are made, which I imagine goes something like this. Hello, I am Michelle de Nostradam, renowned astrologist, doctor, alchemist, and prophet. Who are you? What's going on today? And this is my brother, Pierre. <laughs> and, yes, and that's Pierre. That's Pierre. Don't worry about him. Yeah. <laughs> 
Fuck you, Nashdom. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Michelle. <laughs> that's dude, that's what it would be. Yeah. All right. So the patient reports that she is having severe pain in her stomach, particularly <clears throat> particularly her left lower quadrant area. While the HPI is being gathered, Nostradamus also completes a primary survey. The patient is alert and oriented. Airway is patent. Her breathing is 30 a minute, just kind of shallow mm. and fast. Circulation pulses 70 via the pulse oximeter. Okay. Uh, pulse oximeter is 98 on room <laughs> air. Skin is warm, pink and dry. And someone snags a BP via the non-invasive uh, blood pressure. Uh, and it's 122 over 91. Hmm. All right. So with that task done, Nostradamus is getting his sample history. So the patient's chief complaint is of sharp abdominal pain that has been going on for three days. Today she called because, oh. quote, I can't take it anymore. It hurts too much. End quote. The pain is sharp in nature, and the patient motions that it's in the lower left quadrant of her abdomen. Okay. It does not radiate to her back, her flank. It does not radiate down her legs or groin. The pain is currently a 10 out of 10. Movement seems to make the pain worse, and she describes the area as a little tender. The patient has been taking Pepto-Bismol, and there is a bottle of it on the table next to her. Uh, hey, quick question. Um, so, I know... I know she says it's been going on for three days and that she can't take it anymore because it hurts too much. Too much. Has it been like gradually getting worse for three days and now it's too much? Or has she been dealing with the same level of pain for the entire three days and just can't do it anymore? Ah, nice. Yeah. No, I asked the same questions about pain to Nostradamus. Yeah, because and- it kind of changes because right now I'm doing the whole thing of like, all right, well, what could be wrong in the abdomen? Turns out there's a lot of shit and I'm trying to narrow that down. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Uh, here's the thing. They don't know. They don't recall asking. Okay. What they do recall asking is, hey, is the pain pulsatile, tearing, or like pulling? Good question. To which the patient says, no, it's just a sharp pain. Now, N asks those questions because... There's some hairs on the back of the neck that are standing upright. Oh, get a they back shaver. S- <laughs> no, That's, yeah, dude. I have Here one. Yep. It's fantastic, man. <laughs> that, that's there the advice they wanted when they submitted this call, right? That's That was it? How to, how to handle yep. back hair and neck hair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called, it's called the got your back back razor. So anyway, move on. <laughs> nice. They are suddenly worried about an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And they just want kind of one positive hit on these questions so that they can maybe fly the patient out. But the patient doesn't give them that. Other questions they asked were about bowel movements, which are pertinent. Uh, and the patient reports that they had a bowel movement less than 24 hours ago. Uh, what about urination? Any changes there? Ah, another one you got me on. They did not ask or recall asking. But my game uh, that today, man. S- I'm getting the good questions in. I don't want to fuck this up. I mean, I'm still going yeah, to. No, no, no. <laughs> that's the, oh, you're on it. Damn it. <laughs> Solid question that should have been asked, but wasn't. Um, okay. So other questions that also got asked. The patient does report that they're having some nausea, but denies emesis. Okay. And she does say, ah, if I could just throw up, I think I'd feel better. The patient denies any chest pain, denies any shortness of breath. They deny any weakness. Um, 
or really any other complaints aside from this severe pain. So, N sets about, excuse me, so Nostradamus sets about doing a physical assessment. The patient's abdomen is exposed and he is allowed to palpate the upper two quadrants, but the patient flat out refuses to allow them to palpate her lower abdomen, like at all. Oh, wow. Arms, okay. She's really arms cross. Yep. Her right. arms cross over her abdomen and she makes it very clear that ain't no one touching her there. Okay. Visually. Her abdomen is unremarkable. Aside from the knife buried to the hilt, there were no discolorations, <laughs> swelling, or masses okay. noted. But just one knife? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kidding about okay. the knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you're kidding. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I didn't think yep. that was it anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, there is a knife, but it's not. Yeah. No, no, sure. There's no knife. Yep. All right. <laughs> uh, the patient simply points at her stomach where the pain is. Okay. So, that's the best physical assessment that they were permitted to do by the patient. Um, other things of note, uh, her past medical history includes uh, congestive heart failure, AFib. Uh, mm. She takes Benazepril. inhibitor. Benazepril. Benazepril. That's what I wanted to call it. Carvedilol. Bananapril, yeah. uh, Carvanilol, which is a beta blocker, and Lasix, a loop diuret- uh, diuretic. Also, she takes aspirin gotcha. and no known drug allergies. I imagine she probably takes like potassium supplements and or like a blood thinner as well, given that she has AFib, but I don't know. So, um, yeah. So, and also like the history is a little off because obviously she has hypertension if she's on an ACE inhibitor. So... Yep. So hypertension is probably on the list as well. But gotcha. uh, the ones noted were the big ones noted were CHFA FIB. So, yeah. uh, so Chris, what's your working differential for what we've got going on? Oh boy. So <clears throat> abdominal pain is so hard because there are so many things that could be going on with the patient. And so the big things you want to make sure that you want to rule out right off the bat are things that are going to kill them right off the bat. And you're one of the main way you're going to try and assess that is you're really going to take a look at uh, vital science. Cause the, the big things that I get worried about when people say I have abdominal pain like this is going to be bleeds. And there's just a lot of things that can bleed. I mean, you have aneurysms uh, like you have triple A's you have um, like the renal arteries in other place. You can have an, you can have an aneurysm. There's a lot of things that can just plain tear, especially if there's been a history of recent trauma or falls. Did she have a recent history of any trauma or falls? Did they ask? Uh, I don't know if they asked. Okay. And I, yeah, I don't um, believe so, but and then I you have, can't say for sure. And then you have kind of your more benign things like, uh, like bowel problems with it, which will have like obstructions. Um, a bowel obstruction is actually pretty common to have some pain in the uh, lower left quadrant because that's one of the first places you'll get an obstruction because that is kind of right where the, um, that is where the large colon will turn and start heading towards the sigmoid colon and then to the rectum. And so that's kind of a common place to get obstructions is right at that turn. So that'll cause some pain. Uh, diverticulitis can also cause some pains. Uh, I mean, kidney stone is also on the list, but that's kind of more like a flank pain. Um, uh, this, I mean, I, I guess lower left quadrant is kind of flank-esque, so that's possible. Hmm, uh, yeah. Could be problems with, like, uh, the ureter. Um, I mean, not 
Uh, in a younger patient ectopic pregnancy, I'm going to say 80. It's not a possibility anymore. Um, <laughs> there are some physiological yeah. changes that make that like not a thing. Uh, but the good things that I kind of have going on for me at this point is, and I don't want to say that I don't care what the abdominal pain is, but you do have to kind of come to a point where you realize you can't really diagnose you know, you know what I mean? It's not like, sure. All right, you've got chest pain. Let me do a 12 lead and see what's going on with your heart. Abdominal pain. There's just so much stuff going on there. We just don't have stuff in the field to really say what it is. So you really got to start looking. It's like, all right, what are the things that are going to kill you? And right now the patient's vital signs seem pretty stable. At first I was like, why is her heart rate low for pain level so high? But she is beta blocked. So that makes a lot of sense that her pain. Uh, that's yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. So I think like, yes, yeah, seeing, that, seeing that she's on a beta blocker, like her heart rate may just not be able to go much higher and so right now my main concern though is the amount of pain uh, that she has and i think did he say earlier that she couldn't sit still that's the impression i've been getting yeah so how she was described is when they walk in she's basically just sort of sitting upright in her dining room chair she's not really moving she's almost seems like she's trying not to move um so that's that's sort of yeah that was the yeah. picture that was painted to me okay. um fun fact that changes a little bit you'll see as we go forward okay so let's go forward yeah so uh, so right now i guess to, to answer your question i don't really have a, a specific di- a diagnosis at this point so i guess my okay. plan but, at this point is to like honestly like monitor her vitals and transport but anyway. okay excellent yeah treat some pain <laughs> yeah exactly right. treat her pain Yep. So Abraham, that lifer paramedic, arrives mm-hmm. at the scene and gets report from Nostradamus. Nostradamus, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going with N from now on. I, this <laughs> four syllables is just a lot to you say. You did it to yourself, though. You picked, <laughs> you picked the name. Honestly, right, honestly so, Spencer, you should have predicted this problem. I, I really should have. I couldn't get my alchemy to turn lead into gold. So uh, Mm. there we go. All right. And, and does pull him aside and expresses his concern about, Hey, I kind of, I think this is a aortic abdominal, you know, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Abraham asks Nostradamus why they believe that. And N says, I wasn't able to give Abraham anything specific. It was just a feeling I had. Mm. So, Abraham gives him a non-committal, like, okay, and proceeds to do their own assessment and history gathering, which matches up with what N found. And in the addition, the only additional uh, finding was that the patient had plus three pitting edema in her feet. Her feet were otherwise unremarkable, the same color. Okay. I mean, plus three pitting edema is still pretty, it's a lot of edema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the meantime, the patient's phone rings. And the patient sternly instructs N to answer it and speak with her daughter. Nostradamus is reluctant at first, but the patient is a stern old lady. And just like she made clear that the crew wasn't going to get to touch her stomach, it was made very clear that N would be answering her phone. (laughs) (laughs) So N answers uh, and talks with the doc, the patient's daughter. And essentially, they inform her that, hey, yeah, like we're here with her. This is what's going on. And we're going to be transporting her to this level one hospital that's approximately 40 miles away. And as an aside, there is a closer hospital. It's just in the opposite direction. It's about half the distance. 
but it's critical access. And, and just so to kind of clarify everyone, critical access is, is essentially like an urgent care that can take emergent patients uh, in, you know, on their way to somewhere else. They don't. <clears throat> I think that's probably the best way to charitably describe critical access hospital. Yeah, they, like they don't. They, a lot of them don't have like ICU services. They have yeah. very limited uh, yeah, emergency care services. So right. it's if you have anything that's not like that's serious, uh, you're going to be transferred out. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, Abraham completes their assessment, and the patient is assisted to the stretcher and taken out to the ambulance. Now, a 12 lead is done, and the rationale offered on this assessment piece is that anything remotely related to cardiac uh, is typically an instant helicopter in the okay. case of, like, in the case of a STEMI. So, uh, maybe it's that nausea kind of triggered this, like, eh, well, she's complaining of being nauseous. She's an older, you know, elderly well, lady. Let's just do it. I think this um, is actually a good call, if, if you don't mind, if I take just a quick second here, because it sounds like they fly a lot of people due to their remoteness, and so... the whether or not this is like, like, I mean, remotely cardiac, like if, if that's true, if anything remotely cardiac gets a helicopter, then I would be finding out if there's anything remotely cardiac. Because one of the things to consider is she does have plus three edema in her feet and a history of congestive heart failure. Um, and now she's complaining of some nausea and how like, oh, if I could just throw up, I'd feel better. You know, like those kind of things. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I think a 12 lead is, is, is certainly warranted. I mean, especially because they probably have a long drive to where, like you said, well, how far away is the hospital again? 40 miles away. It's like, yeah, they got a yeah. long drive. We might as well go ahead and do the 12 lead now. Yeah, no, so. that's that's fair. Because right? I was going like, ah, left, like epigastric pain would be something that I'd more be sure. like, oh, okay, um, definitely doing a 12 lead. Uh, but lower left quadrant pain, yeah, it's a little weirder. But uh, no, your points are valid. So, yeah. Okay. Well, they do that. Uh, Chris agrees. <laughs> and I'm I'm like, yeah, no, that seems fair. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> how, how, how about this? If they didn't do one, I probably wouldn't have batted an eye. But I okay, mean, but, but if someone but if someone on scene was like, hey, why don't we just do a 12? Like just before we get her going, like maybe she has a really oddly presenting cardiac symptom and she has a history of congestive heart failure. Let's just give it a shot and see what happens. I would have been like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, man. Yeah. yeah and, you know, hey, and maybe the left lower quadrant pain is a is, you know. Maybe that's where her heart is. That's that's exactly. Thanks, Doctor Who. All right. So <laughs> Abraham establishes an IV and administers four milligrams Zofran for the nausea and fifty micrograms of fentanyl for the pain. Nostradamus of, is, of course, in the back of the ambulance as well, and feels at this point that maybe perhaps they were overreading in okay. their differential diagnosis, and they start to relax. The transport will take about forty minutes. Abraham takes the spot behind the patient and N sets up next to the patient. The patient needs to be sitting almost upright on the stretcher and she doesn't want to move. So 10 minutes into the transport, Abraham asks the patient if the pain medication has helped at all. The patient reports that it hasn't. She still appears uncomfortable and is noted to fidget slightly. So, Nostradamus starts to reconsider the reconsidering of their concern. Yeah. The patient's BP is noted to increase to 166 over 110. The patient's heart rate has increased to 88. Hmm. Nostradamus points this out uh, to his partner, Abraham, but is assured by Abraham that this is actually an expected finding as the patient is in pain. They administer another dose of 50 micrograms of fentanyl. So speak. I will uh, <laughs> speak, child. Um <laughs> 
Speak, Nostradamus. Uh, so I, I agree with Abraham that you should see vital signs climbing like this. But one of the things that I don't really see anyone kind of addressing here is that we've we've given narcotics to someone and they're proceeding to get more uncomfortable and more tachycardic and they're beta blocked at that. So tachycardia is a solid effort on the, on the body's part. Cause I mean, it basically has a medication to say, slow down, slow the fuck down. And it's saying no. And like going for it anyway. <laughs> and this is after getting fentanyl. And which, so like, which body part is saying no, just out of curiosity, <laughs> which, which, which body organ has that particular, no, <laughs> that's, that's the heart because it's been beta blocked and told to slow down. So it's saying I'm going to go faster. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's what your heart sounds like. Good to know. <laughs> yep. Is that my, like, is that like you have your pregnancy scream? That is my clip. That was, no. uh, <laughs> that's not what I said. <laughs> I'm going to play them side by side and uh, people will see that mine is so much more dignified than yours. That's your word. No. Uh, but anyway, all right. <laughs> okay. So your point is right, like, so, so anyway, so, sorry. Yeah. So my, my point is, is like now here, here's my other point. I also happen to know that, the, that, that this particular call made EMS 2020. So my spidey sense is up a little bit. And wouldn't that be great if while you're in the middle of a call, someone was like, Hey, there's a podcast. that's going to review this. You might want to, <laughs> You might want to look closer. <laughs> so I have an advantage that Abraham doesn't is that I am waiting for the other foot, the other shoe to foot, whatever that saying goes. <laughs> I'm waiting for that problem to happen because um, I know it's going to because if this turns out it's just a bowel obstruction, then fucking lame ass call, Spence. Uh, but, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, we have we have someone who's on a medication that by all intents and purposes um makes it hard for their body to raise its own blood pressure and raise its heart rate. And she's getting uncomfortable and doesn't want to move. Um, like things are getting worse and they seem to be getting substantially worse and her pain's persisting. Her pain is persisting through medication, her tachycardia, or not tachycardia, but her increase in heart rate and blood pressure is persisting through medication. This should be pushing her the opposite way. I, I guess I'm just trying to say like, I am more worried about this patient now. And okay. I, 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 I would disagree with Abraham that this is an expected finding. I mean, it can be, but for this patient, I, I think that this is a little bit beyond an expected finding. The other thing we got to remember okay. is this has been pain that's going on for three days. And now all of a sudden her vital signs are starting to increase gradually over a period of a few minutes. Yeah. That to me says that this is a little bit different than what's been going on for three days. Something's getting acutely worse. Well, but anyway. Know, and and another thing to consider, and I don't know the case because it just occurred to me now, mm -hmm. but maybe the uh, the road or something, you know, like the road fair. movement totally is fair. also aggravating. So there's a possibility there, too. Totally fair. Um, either way, more pain medication. Yeah, more pain. Uh, so they've done that. And 10 minutes later, the patient has now become increasingly curt and snappy at the crew. As if we weren't doing anything to help her at all, Nostradamus says. Her blood pressure and heart rate are a little elevated from the previous numbers, so they administer another 50 micrograms of fentanyl. Okay. The patient continues to shift slightly, but still really works on remaining like upright. And I mean like 90 degree angle upright. Gotcha. Okay. So... 10 minutes later, her blood pressure is 180 over 100. Her heart rate is 110. They give her another 50 micrograms of fentanyl dose. Mm -hmm. 
end describes feeling like they are missing something. Yeah. Abraham calls report as they are getting close to the ED. Um, three to four minutes after that last dose is given, the patient finally starts to report some pain relief. And by the way, they're now at 200 micrograms of fentanyl total for the people tracking at home. Um, so N is talking with her as they take the exit off French historical reference highway to their destination <laughs> hospital. The patient's head is noted to slump back into the stretcher. Um, N is alarmed because she has been sitting so upright that that movement is actually pretty severe. Um, so they note, uh, they kind of, you know, hey, hey, hey. And then they note that her eyes have also rolled back into her head. And uh, now there is a really ugly bunch of squiggly lines on the cardiac monitor indicating fuck. ventricular fibrillation. It's an aneurysm, so, wasn't it? All right, I, will, N, I, I, I won't spoil it, but, but keep going. I think it's an aneurysm. Right. I, I will mark it so, as I think this is an aneurysm that has now dissected, but go ahead. Or ruptured, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So N alarms Abraham, who does a quick pulse check and notes that there is no pulse. So they lower the head of the stretcher. Nostradamus set starts doing CPR while Abraham gets out the BVM to bag the patient. And by the way, they are actually just now pulling into the ambulance bay at the ED by this point. So Pierre the fucking hero of this call jumps out of the driver's seat, recruits a nearby ambulance crew from a different service to come and assist. Excellent work, Pierre. Good job. The patient is rushed into a surprise trauma bay and ultimately is declared dead. Yeah. Now follow up was requested, which mm -hmm. nice work, Nostradamus and an autopsy revealed that the patient did die of a ruptured, uh, aorta abdominal aortic aneurysm oh wow so nostradamus's prophetic vision was right after all good job nostradamus so the question becomes was this a miss yeah i don't i don't know if it was a miss or not like i'll, I'll admit at first i was thinking like okay this sounds like a typical bowel obstruction because you had the pain in the lower left quadrant which is a common place to have an obstruction uh because it's right on the way to the sigmoid colon and the food bolus by then has had a lot of the water reuptake process done. So it's, it's mm. less soft. The pain is there. She's complaining of nausea, but then we have the history that she said she had a, a recent bowel movement that was normal. And that, you yeah. know, that kind of says not obstructed if poop's coming out. And so my next thought on this is honestly like almost diverticulitis. So I think, and I guess now I'm thinking yeah. like, what could they, oh, well, go ahead. Because like what well, what I could think, they have assessed for? I guess like like what are, what are the assessments we need to be looking at? Well, I think before we really establish whether or not they should have done or looked for anything different, uh, before we go into that discussion, I think we should probably have a brief refresher on aortic aneurysms, dissections, and ruptures. Okay. So let's do that. All right. So. <laughs> For this episode, uh, as I mentioned, I had to refresh my own knowledge of abdominal aortic aneurysms, and now I get to share the summary of my Google search article readings and YouTube free open access medical classes with all of you. <laughs> Yay! So I will keep this super brief, or I will do my best to keep this super brief. <laughs> all right. So we know that the aorta is the largest artery in the body. It starts at the aortic root 
which is where it connects to the heart and allows blood to leave the left ventricle and carries that blood down to where it splits. The aorta splits to become the pair of iliac arteries. Now, this blood vessel has to withstand fluid getting pumped into it at high pressures, so it needs to be built Ford tough. Okay. Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe people hate Ford. I have a Ford. You pick. I like my Ford. <laughs> nice. All right. It, you, it has to be built geometro tough. <laughs> That's not good. No wonder there's so many <laughs> things rupturing. <laughs> All right. So we know it's got three parts to the blood vessel uh, walls. Those are the tunica intima, that baby smooth inner lining. Ooh. Next, we have the tunica media. This is the key player in this game, by the way. This is the layer that has collagen. Think strong. Elastin. Think elastic. And uh, elastic, able to roll with the punches of blood that the heart puts out and some of the other things that probably do something but don't sound too important. <laughs> then we have the tunica adventia, uh, which is that outer layer that has some nerve cells. And fun fact, this explains why some people can feel that, quote, tearing pain. Um, mm. <laughs> Pierre and aortic nerve cells. We cover a lot on EMS 2020. <laughs> so now we... Now that we kind of understand the aorta, where it, uh, what it does, where it goes, we also have to understand that we're going to divide it into two parts. There is the thoracic aorta, which is basically from the aortic root uh, down to where it uh, passes through the diaphragm. Once it passes through the diaphragm, now it the, is now the, the aortic root is where it connects to the heart, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And then once it passes through the diaphragm, it is now abdominal aorta. Um, and yeah, and by the way, there's far more elastin and collagen up in the thoracic area compared to the abdominal area. Uh, but that makes sense because there's a lot more pressure directly from the heart. Yeah, so. it does. All right. So now that we know what, an, what the aorta is, what is an aneurysm? It is a ballooning out of the artery to at least one and a half times the diameter of what the vessel should be per the NCLX Khan Academy video. <laughs> there are different types based on the shape, and some of these types aren't even particularly emergencies. There is a strong possibility that a person might not even be aware that they have an aortic aneurysm. Aneurysms occur usually because of weakness developing in that second layer. Usually, this is brought on by arteriosclerosis, uh, hypertension, which reduces elastin, uh, just sort of degenerations that occur naturally with aging. And sometimes there's genetic predisposition, such as Marfan syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So basically what happens is this layer gets broken and allows bulging to occur. Surprisingly, Chris, smoking ends up also being really, really bad for this. Oh, that's such huh. a shocker that smoking is bad for something. <laughs> I know. Uh, somebody should alert the press. Yeah, now, I know. You know what? I propose we put labels on those packages. <laughs> Right. All right. So now remember, this is just the wall of the aorta weakening and ballooning out. This isn't talking about dissections or ruptures. We'll get right. to that in a second. The aneurysm at this point, depending on its shape and size, might just be letting blood sit and clot in like a little alcove that it's formed, which, you know, it's not great. 
uh, but it's not really that bad either. Or maybe it's pressing against other structures depending on its location, lungs or other blood vessels. Maybe it's pushing into the inferior vena cava, reducing blood flow back to the heart. So anyway, that's an aneurysm. Dissection is a tearing at the first level of that first layer in the aorta, that intima layer. With that tearing, blood gets in between those layers and starts just kind of tearing its way down between the two, creating a false lumen. Now, that false lumen is bad for a couple reasons, Uh, because one, the dissection can grow and obstruct the actual path that the blood is supposed to take, Um, just kind of pushes that layer out and obstructs it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm this is my home now. I'm going to block this all off. This is Uh, all mine. Lumen, by the way, for those that are not familiar with a lumen, if you had a pipe, a lumen is the hole is the inside of the pipe. That's a lumen. But anyway, nice. (laughs) Fun fact. So, all right. Um, you can obstruct the actual path the blood is supposed to take. Also, it can obstruct blood vessels. For instance, a dissection at the aortic root can actually block your right coronary artery, which gives the dissection a very MI, you know, heart attack kind of appearance. Hmm. The second reason it's bad is because the dissection can rupture. Death follows shortly. Yeah. And that brings us to aortic rupture, which is when the blood that's supposed to be in the aorta isn't and uh. instead fills the chest cavity and the abdo- or the abdominal cavity. Again, death follows shortly. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Kivlihan, uh, MD on EMS World, essentially describes the incidence of this as this. Neither dissections nor aneurys- aneurysms are common. However, they are not rare. <laughs> that, that's, like, actually, that's, that's a nice qualification. Yeah, they're in the middle. So they cite 10,000 cases of dissections in the U.S. annually from a 2011 paper. Um, they also say that dissections occur at a rate of three to one between the thoracic and abdominal aorta. So, so more, more thoracic. You're, you're going to have for aortic dissections. It's more likely going to happen in the uh, thoracic aorta. Okay. Um, and that, again, that makes sense. You have a lot more high pressure coming at that point. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, we know enough about what this is and pertinent medical history that make this condition more likely. Age, high blood pressure, shitty arteries, smoking, also being male happens to, uh, this happens more often in males. Yeah. Um, but- What do we need to look for in our patients if we're worried about this? Well, here's sort of the bad news. It's sort of based on what and where. Uh, Strictly speaking, aneurysms, if the aorta balloons out, uh, for example, and compresses renal blood flow. So it's, uh, you know, like a, a an abdominal aortic aneurysm up by the renal arteries. You might end up having flank pain uh, that sort of oh, radiates yeah. down. Um, but if it's grown and it's lower and it's compressing nerves, then you might end up with numbness, weakness, tingling. Um, you, you might have you know leg pain. Uh, you could have groin pain uh, as well, you know, and maybe even some back pain. So it just sort of depends on how big it is, where it is. And what it's doing while it's there, that's oh, wow. going to give you your symptoms and your signs. 
as an example, in the chest, if you have an aorta, uh, an aortic aneurysm, you could get shortness of breath because now it is compressing against oh, a shit, lung yeah. lobe. That's no fun. You could, you could also experience hoarseness, uh, chest pain, etc. The pain or may or may not be described as pulsating, but is almost always described as at least sharp or again, nothing. <laughs> they might not have any symptoms with their aortic aneurysm. Nice. There is a range. So briefly dissections like aneurysms also sort of depend on where they are, but commonly heard uh, reported is severe tearing pain often felt in the back between the shoulder blades, though it can also be felt in the anterior chest or shoulders as well, or down in the lower back and into the abdomen. Additionally, if the false lumen uh, starts obstructing blood flow distal to that, you know, to, uh, to where it is, uh, your patient might have mottled or, dis, you know, like might ha present with lower limbs that are mottled or discolored. They might have weakness. They might have pain also in their lower extremities. If the patient suddenly becomes hemodynamically unstable, syncopizes, or becomes altered, suspect rupture, in which case they will probably die if you're outside of the hospital. Great. Uh, they quote 65% mortality outside seems of the low. hospital with a ruptured uh, aortic. It seems really low. Um, so, yeah. So, and if oh, you're thinking, wow. okay. Well, in this case, they should have really pushed for that abdominal assessment in their physical exam so that they could feel that palpable, large, pulsating mass, which would have totally given it away. I have bad news. <laughs> that nice. finding is present in something like 30% of cases. <laughs> so don't count on it. Basically, what they said was like, oh, yeah, the aorta that's sort of by your spine. Yeah, you can you can palpate into the abdomen. You may or may not feel it. Yeah. Or in really thin patients, I've just palpating their abdomen. I've felt an aorta and I'm like, well, well that's, I mean, they, there wasn't a aortic aneurysm to be noted. So yeah, it just, they're just thin uh, enough that it's there. So it's really not the, like a great specific or sensitive sign. Um, so don't count on that being like the key thing to take. So again, even if they had done their assessment, it also might have yielded nothing. Right. So we don't again again we don't have an aha there. Mm -hmm. If they had felt it, then maybe that would have been like, okay, I've got sharp pain and I've got this pulsate pulsatile mass. I would hope so. Okay. If they palpated a pulsatile mass, someone should have been like, fuck it, let's go. But in this case, even if they had done it, the odds are that they probably wouldn't have felt it. So right. yeah. Seventy percent yep. chance it's not gonna be there. So knowing this stuff does like, was this a miss again, if the patient has more telling signs in their history and chief complaint, or they had like discoloration or weakness in their lower extremities, etc. Like this differential diagnosis becomes a lot easier to make. Right. But you know, cause what else does that? But right. here you just had sharp pain in the lower left quadrant and some nausea. There wasn't anything significant that hit on AAA outside of just her history of being old, having hypertension and, you know, being old. All right. So you can kind of see where I'm leaning here, Chris, uh, but yeah. you are uh, another brain. And so not a good one with this information. <laughs> what do you think? Did they miss? 
Uh, okay, I, I'm going to run through a couple things again. I, I hope you don't mind. I, this is just my brain trying to work it out. And I'm, okay. I, I'm going to say on its note, I mean, okay, yes, technically a life-threatening problem was missed. That's objective. Okay, no one saw this for what it was. But was there something they could have seen that should have said, like, hey, you should have known better? I think initially there was a big part of me that was like when the patient was getting super uncomfortable and we saw a rise in vital signs. I was kind of like, okay, something's going on here. Maybe that was an opportunity, but you just didn't have. And and like you just talked about, like, there are a lot of signs like there's gray turners and colons, uh, you know, gray turners being the discoloration on the flanks and colons being discoloration around the umbilicus. Uh, and then you have, um, you know, like palpating a, a pulsating mass in the abdomen, but none of those that, things. Yep. Can, yeah. Like none <laughs> of those. Here's the thing. All three of those things can be completely absent and they could still be having one. So, and it's, and it sounds like they weren't present in this patient for, I mean, she kind of prohibited some of their assessment. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but yeah, I mean, and then the other thing too, I guess I'll talk briefly about the blood pressure coming up because that was kind of something that threw me was the rising okay. blood pressure. So blood pressure, you have diastolic and systolic. Um, I know we have some people listening that may not be as, you know, uh, savvy. So we'll uh, we'll break it down. So systolic, that's the upper number. Diastolic is the lower <laughs> number. So you got 120 over 80, okay? Systolic is the pressure against the vascular, uh, within the vasculature, your arteries mainly, um, when the heart is contracting, okay, that the beat. And then the diastolic number is the residual pressure that's kind of left over when the heart is not contracting. So when you start to bleed out, there are things that can happen to these two numbers that can give you an indication that you're bleeding out, which is what this lady ultimately did. So diastolic number, the diastolic number is, uh, always there so systolic is basically whatever the diastolic number is plus cardiac output okay so changes in the diastolic number are more often caused by an increase in vascular resistance so whether that's because you eat like shit and you have atherosclerosis uh, or cholesterol built up and you have you know like smaller vasculature or because your body's losing blood and it's clamping down and making the vasculature smaller, that is mm. more responsible for diastolic increase. Um, however, cardiac output can also increase diastolic as well, but diastolic will increase, uh, increases in, in diastole are more, mo most of that increase will be due to vascular resistance. Systolic okay. blood pressure, systolic blood pressure will also raise with vascular resistance, but is more prone to be impacted by cardiac output when that heart contracts. So if someone starts to bleed out, one of the things the body is gonna do is it's gonna say, hey, I am losing pressure. I need blood to get to the brain and kidneys. And it has little receptors there that will tell the brain when pressure's getting low, you know, to, hey, do some shit to fix the pressure. And so it's gonna make, <laughs> It just like that exactly. It actually shows up on an EEG. It just says do some shit. They're like, oh, this is bad. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so um, man, it's like do some shit to fix the pressure. And so what you end up with is the heart is going to kind of increase its rate, right? And it's going to try and increase cardiac output. And so you'll see that tachycardia. 
Well, when you start running out of blood, the heart can beat as fast as it wants. If it doesn't have enough blood to beat to push around, it's not going to yeah. work. Another trick that the body has up its sleeve is to go ahead and make the vasculature smaller so there's less space that the blood has to fill, bringing up the blood pressure. And so it'll do that. It'll start vasoconstricting all around the body. Like, it's going to shut down blood flow to things you don't need. Like, here's the thing. Like, as a human, I love having fingers. Uh, Spence, I'm sure you like having fingers and toes. Oh, yeah. uh, but you don't need them to survive. So, <laughs> basically, <Yeah. laughs> peripheral blood flow to your arms and hands and toes gets shut down. And so that way, the blood you do have is safe for where you need it. Well, what that's going to do is that's going to increase vascular resistance. So when someone bleeding out, what you start seeing is you start seeing the diastolic number, again, which is very responsive to vascular mm. resistance, kind of starts to catch up to the systolic number. And I would say that if these guys had that, where they started seeing blood pressures of like, okay, maybe systolic increases a little bit, like 130, 140, but then you have diastolic coming up at like 100, 110. That should have been a sign for them that something was bleeding. But they didn't have that either. They had like 180 over 100, I want to say, was the blood pressure. Yeah. And so... Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, so the, okay. Yeah, so, so right. sorry for the belabored explanation, but... um yeah it was just yeah they don't I even mean, they have, didn't have any signs until she died yeah <laughs> <Essentially>. <laughs> they really didn't until her blood pressure was and zero I, they didn't I, really have I any honest, signs and i honestly imagine that that happened in a just a fairly short period of time i i don't imagine it takes much for your body to just you know it's like oh, all right empty abdominal cavity <laughs> blood right. out here yeah, exactly. All of it. Exactly. Your abdominal cavity is huge. And basically, you have an aorta that is roughly the size of a garden hose with a hole in it. And it has a pump <laughs> pumping your life fluid into places that it does no good. So, yeah. Yeah. That's basically. Yeah, so, okay. So, your, your, your point is in, in this, in this sort of, um, in this examination, like, even the signs that you would kind of look for to like indicate that there's a life threat yeah. just weren't there. And all she had, all she seemingly had was the sharp pain in her left lower quadrant. So I would so, say the only thing that this really kind of boils down to is this, and I'll see if you agree here. I think the only other thing is to kind of look at everything it could be and just kind of rule out what it could not be. And then you're kind of left with that, with the exception of like maybe diverticulitis, which could explain all of her symptoms. Uh, yeah, I, diverticulitis would be weird if she doesn't have any history of diverticulosis. I mean, granted, I'm not an expert, so I don't <laughs> I don't know when diverticulosis like starts, if, like if there's an age that people kind of stumble upon it or, or really anything other than like the mechanisms and that, you know, like just sort of a... <laughs> a basic knowledge so that I can go like, oh, maybe it's diverticulosis, <laughs> but usually like the pretest probability for that is, do they have a history of it or mm. do they have history of similar episodes? Um, of which she, she has doesn't. None. Yeah. So it, it's possible. I, again, I can't say for sure that it, it wouldn't be there, but um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so not likely, but possible. Um and then you brought up this, the, uh, like bowel obstruction. Right. Um, which again does also has like really severe sharp pain. Um, nausea, which yeah. she had. 
nausea, but uh, the recent bowel movement, normal bowel movement in the last 24 hours makes that kind of a hard sell too. Yeah. I mean, I guess, so, I mean, I've heard of people having bowel movements, but still being impacted um, where you might have like a, a lower portion like breaks away and passes, but the main blockage is still there. Um, mm. I've heard of things like that. But still, that would be like a, like a low volume or a small amount. And so yeah. she's saying it's normal. So I, mean, I guess you, you could make the case that, well, maybe she doesn't know what normal is. But I think at that point, what you're you kind of fall into that category of just looking for reasons to not believe that it's something worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's a hard line to walk, which is like, eh, I don't want to overreact to this, but I don't want to underreact. Like, where's the middle? Like, yeah. you know, take, take into account that some people are really poor historians. Sure. You know? Um uh, you know, I mean, going on like it's it it also could be a urine, you know, urinary system problem. Uh, maybe you know, like it's possible that she has an infection, or maybe it's a you know kidney stone that has since moved. But again, like there would be, I would expect flank flank pain, back pain, um, or at least some history thereof. <laughs> and then it's radiated down into her left lower quadrant, kind of towards her groin. Um, the crew didn't ask, uh, about urine, which might've been a missed opportunity to yep. kind of find out more about that. You know, like if there were blood in it, if, you know, it hurts to pee indicating like an infection or a possible stone. Um, but I mean, even then, like that's not really a, it's not really a solid hit either. And I think you brought this up earlier in the episode, ectopic pregnancy, Oh yeah, of which I, I talked about of it, which definitely doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, she definitely does not have the eighty-year-old grandma does not have an ectopic. So then, I, I, yeah, that sort of leaves us with you know uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm uh, as a possibility, and you know she, she has the age, um, she's got the medical history that could support it, and. The presentation, you know, the presentation doesn't quite fit. Like there could have been other signs that would have made it a more solid answer. But here it's just sort of like, it seems, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just sort of vague enough that it could be a lot of these other things. And it's only when you kind of combine like the history to where and like all these other rule outs that it seems to rise just in probability that this is the case. Yeah. But that isn't a very solid um, thing to go on, I guess. Um, I, I think it's kind of hard when you kind of boil it down to I think it's easy, kind of easy to be like, sorry, did I cut off a string you're going on? No, 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 no. Uh, this is perfect. Good job. I think it's kind of easy to sit back and be like. Well, hey, I mean, he should have gotten this because nothing else really perfectly fit. And then, but then you got to ask questions like, okay, so you got someone complaining of lower left abdominal pain, but they're otherwise vitally stable and you can't really, like, are you really going to go code three or, or honestly for her, she'd be flown based on their area. If they yeah. suspected it right off the bat, they'd be calling in a helo. Yeah. So uh, some people may ask, by the way, about helos and pressure differentials and Boyle's law, which is basically Boyle's law is the expansion of gas as you go up. Um, 
that doesn't most most helicopters are going to fly like on their way in at least in our area spencer like we're gonna be around three thousand like three thousand feet and that's not that's not high enough to cause a problem for AAA. you'll be fine yeah no that should be fine i mean you know area dependent service dependent but probably not an issue um you you know who makes this really easy like who has this easiest hospitals they right. just like you come in. It's like, yeah, you've got this like vague complaint of 10 out of 10 sharp pain in their abdomen. And the doctor just kind of go like, huh? Okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's do some scans. Let's run some labs. Like, they, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. figure this out. Ultrasound will be in. I'll be in my little alcove uh, trying not to clot. <laughs> <laughs> trying not to clot. Uh, which really yeah. the only person that needs a clot is the patient. <laughs> Or yeah, or not. I mean, that's ooh. true. <laughs> Came in with an aneurysm, left with a, <laughs> a stroke, <laughs> pulmonary embolism. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, yeah. So I, I, I think that sort of hits on the you know the next question is like, all right, you know, so was there anything they could have possibly pulled from their assessment? No. It. I think you're you and I kind of agree they did the best they could. There were some probably some more questions they could have asked, which would have increased the odds of it being uh, a triple A if they'd thought about it that way. But you know, and again, they might have been able to palpate the mass um, mm-hmm. gently. I hope. <laughs> uh, but you know, the patient said no, and they, maybe they could have done a better job going like, "Hey, this is really important." Mm, but then you know probably wouldn't have found it anyway odds are stacked against them so i i I can't really begrudge them on the assessment or history and i think their mode of transport like you said was totally justified given what they had um treatment wise i i I think oh go on what what, once once it blew i mean they're you did they give fluids uh, I think that was a just a crash CPR situation. Okay, gotcha. I, I they might have I don't know, but I'm imagining it was really just two people trying to do compressions and ventilating yeah. as they pulled into the ER. I mean, so. yeah, I I think um, it, treatment wise for her, I think I think uh, like maybe some more aggressive pain management. Yeah, that that was sort of where I was going to was yeah. um you, you really can't go too wrong with you know, uh, maybe larger doses of fentanyl or, you know, or, or ketamine if fentanyl is ineffective. I mean, ketamine, probably not the best medication to give to this patient. Uh, but we don't know that going in. So. Yeah, but we don't know that going in. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I mean, we also work in a service, like in an area that is a little more liberal with their protocols right. for pain That's management. Um, and so I think there's a lot of comfort from you know like i have a lot of comfort in you know giving larger doses of of narcotic pain medication i guess so um yeah um i think yeah i think pain management as far as uh mode of transport given the assessment that they had i i I think mode of transport because really the only thing you would have changed if you suspected an abdominal aortic aneurysm what in this patient would have been mode of transport Really? Yeah. Or, you know, lights lights and sirens or mode of transport depend. Like if the the, helicopter couldn't get in, it's it's a 
snowy January day. I don't know what the weather is um, like. Blustery, I believe, is what you said earlier. Blustery. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so they may not even be able to get get a get the helicopter in, or or go light. Yeah, or or go lights and sirens, and that's really the only thing that they possibly would have changed. So past that, um, once it actually popped and blew, um. Yeah, I don't mean to be crass, but you're fucked. I mean, she's she's yeah. dead. She's dead. You know, you can't you can't fix it. CPR isn't going to fix it. Uh, you can't yeah. you can't dump in fluids fast enough to fix it. Even if you manage to somehow dump in enough fluids to get her blood pressure, you're getting her blood pressure with something that isn't blood, and so that doesn't help her. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Once, yeah. Once that once that thing blows and goes. Um, you're you're done. So yeah, I mean, I I think yeah. like that's the other thing we we got to look at too is uh, if we went to the magical land where we said, all right, let's sit, let's change the story. You know, they walk in and um, you know, Nostradamus says, hey, I think this is a AAA for these clinical reasons. You know, kind of just instead of the uh, hmm. which actually I guess the, that's another like, point. Yeah, let yeah. me make this quick point really quick, actually. Then, then I'll get back to my other point. Sorry for those listening, trying to keep track of this shit. Uh, Nostradamus. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm always big fan. Present things clinically. Even if all you have to say is, look, I think it's a AAA. And they're like, why? And the only thing you say is because she's just super uncomfortable. Uh, it's a severe pain in her lower left quadrant. And I can't really figure out what else it would be. And, you know, from my perspective, that's kind of the worst thing it could be. Saying that is much better than, I don't know, man. I just really think it is. Because what's going to happen is in that paramedic is going to be like, all right, you're coming to this conclusion off your experience. Well, my experience as a 25-year paramedic is I have seen so many other things that this could possibly be that my brain's not going where your brain is going. And yeah. so that's all you've given him. But if you give him something clinical, then he has to consider the clinical findings you had. Then that's got to go through their brain of like, okay, well, what could it be? And it kind of starts an internal conversation in somebody, uh, a clinical internal conversation in somebody. Now, that being said, probably going to be the same result. Paramedic probably going to be like, okay, well, thanks. And then not it but anyway yeah. so but let's say the paramedic did let's say the paramedic said you know i think you're right it is a triple a the only thing that really could have been done differently in this call would have been uh driving faster or flying yeah. if flying was available uh but even still like you're talking about a 40 minute transport by the time the helicopter lands and then takes off i mean you're maybe saving 15 minutes on this person tops yeah you know, so is that going to help? I mean, going code three would be even less, but still. Anyway, and that's the only yeah. thing you're really going to change. So it's so I guess like here's my final verdict on this guy. Yeah, um, I think they did the best that they could. I think with the best that they could, they did not have enough to call it a triple A. I think even had they called a triple A, there wasn't anything they really could have done to save this patient. And unless and here's the only here's the only uh like stipulation to that like true if, unless they have orders that address that you know like if they have you know i don't know if they carry like beta blockers or you know um fair yeah you know, like pain management beta blockers uh maybe a calcium channel blocker i know beta blocker is sort of the preferred you know first line treatment at least in our area that's true um, so like if they had that and some services do some services do carry like metoprolol or something like 
maybe contacting online medical control and seeing if that's an appropriate, you know, uh, time to treat. But again, like I would, I would sort of expect that they would need more to be able to like, to explain to the doctor, like, Hey, this is why we think this and all those clinical findings. And there's a good chance the doctor might go like, I don't know if we want to give beta blockers to a patient who's beta blocked already. And also probably just has a bowel obstruction, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like (laughs) exactly. And, uh, and then even some, I guess the other point you could make is if they got their code three fast enough, could surgical intervention have been done to, to change it Um, with lights and sirens? I mean, you're going to save like, five six minutes on this transport with optimal conditions um so yes in this case <laughs> yeah well but still you're talking five six minutes that's door to the er into the or can they get in there and fix it in five six minutes oh yeah yeah who knows right yeah so um, I, I i don't know it's yep here here's here's another point that, that i also want to make is um uh, this is true EMS. I would say this is one of the more common calls that we run. Uh, most of the calls we get to kind of go back and pluck out the one thing that someone's done wrong that could have changed the call. You don't always get to do that in EMS. You know, sometimes yeah. sometimes you do things 100% fine. And I'm, I'm still not convinced they did things 100% fine, but they still did pretty good. Uh, yeah. But sometimes you can still do a pretty good job. And things are still going to go sideways on you. And that's just EMS. Uh, this yeah. is unfortunately, this is the kind of call that creates paramedics that dangerously go code three on everything. Oh, yeah. Cause you get, yeah. Because you get the paramedics that are like, you know, gosh, I mean, I didn't catch this. And so now every time they get, you know, a, a patient who has lower left quadrant abdominal pain, they're getting rushed off code three. <laughs> yeah because that one time you know because now the yeah. odds seem a lot more you know in the favor of like no 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 <laughs> common but not rare my ass fucking yeah. common <laughs> and how, i had one <laughs> and how, how many times have you heard this it's like hey man I, i've actually seen this before and it turned out to be a triple a yeah you know, yeah it's i like, mean oh. not that not that exactly but v- things but very much like that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've actually seen this before and it turned out to be a rare amoeba that you can pick up in the amazon goes in through your penis <laughs> like that's you know like <laughs> no the i don't fuck? like that one you know like, oh, but that's a thing you should look it up um but yeah. anyway uh what are your thoughts on the real quick just for fun nostradamus and his premonition uh he i mean he nailed it. It yeah, he knew he it was gonna. He, <laughs> he felt like it was gonna be a. He was like, no, 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 something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then he you know, picked it out. <laughs> and then he fucking nailed it. Yeah, uh, I can tell you that. I can tell you what it meant for that paramedic, and that's that paramedic is in there being like, "What the fuck, man? I've been doing this for twenty five years <laughs> at a higher level, and then like this guy, and I like him. He's a nice guy, but damn it, you know, like how did he get? What did I miss?" <laughs> Um, what do I think Peter's of him outside the him? ambulance stubbing out a cigarette angrily like of course Michelle gets it <laughs> <laughs> fucking Michelle um, so right right quick um, I apologize well, to anyone who's French I have a ter- like, that's I feel like we've been a, a little bit hard on Pierre in this episode too no we've been complimentary as fuck of Pierre <laughs> yeah, we were but we also started out by saying like he's uniquely qualified to do the hard job of driving the ambulance and I thought that was a little harsh sounding 
oh yeah i I was intending it to be like hey guys let's all for all the non-ems people in here uh let's all agree how hard and capable like how impossible it is to drive an ambulance and how qualified yeah it's a big deal you have to go through like years of schooling okay federal federal licenses the whole thing <clears throat> or take a one-day cone course and call it good um but anyway <laughs> uh, so i'm just but- saying when the pilots at our base talk about like flex their i just pull out my sevo 3 card and i'm like yeah <laughs> i got one it's fine oh you're still on sevo 3 we i have sevo 4 <laughs> Which is oh. actually a real thing. It is SIBO 4 now. But anyway, uh, wow. <laughs> moving past that, what do I think of his prediction is sometimes you need someone that has uh, seen less. I don't want to be condescending, but it's going to sound like that. But here it goes. Nostradamus's uh, toolbox, rather, or rather his vault of experience is smaller than that of Abraham's in this case. Yeah. And so he has less to choose from. And so he is more likely to choose that versus Abraham walks in and Abraham has got a hundred things to choose from. And nine times out of 10, when he's seen this exact thing, it was not that. So for Nostradamus to kind of make that prediction, I I, I mean, unless Nostradamus who gave us a story, it, it was kind of holding out on us and there was something else that they saw. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's just kind of, I, I don't want to call it a lucky guess, but I think it's just kind of one of those things that it was a <laughs> guess. Uh, it was just kind of like, like of the things it could possibly be that are the worst because he saw a patient that didn't, you know, that was obviously in distress. Yeah. That was the one I went for I me. Mean, I think Dr. probably walked in, saw the patient was in a lot of distress and then said, gosh, what's the worst thing to be causing that distress and picked triple A. Which is actually not a terrible fucking strategy at all. <laughs> it's not. Uh, yeah, you, no. you know, you're, you're gonna. You're, if you did that strategy all the time, you're gonna take a lot of people go through the hospital that definitely don't need to go. But you're also gonna catch the bad ones. So that that's well, my I take think, on it. I guess. I I think it's definitely helpful to come into a scene and you know try and suspect the worst and then kind of work your way down. Yeah. And, you know, cast that wide net so that you're, you know, looking at all the things and asking lots of questions to try and, you know, sort your way through it, you know, when it's appropriate, obviously. Um, Sometimes history is far less important than resuscitation. (laughs) (laughs) But true. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's uh, that's the case then. All right, man. Well, I have nothing else to say on it. Do you? I uh, no. No, All right. I think we nailed it. Well, I, I think we successfully gave everybody kind of a, eh. Uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah, thank you everyone again for listening to get another episode of EMS 2020. Keep looking for Umahop's beer. We're going to make it happen. And also follow us on social media, especially if you haven't already. Please follow us. We are on Facebook at EMS 20 slash 20. You can find us on Instagram at EMS 2020 show. And please send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. That is where that's the best way to send us your tales of woe or tales of success. And uh, with that, Spencer awkwardly shoot us in the head. Hey, hey, do some shit. Do some (laughs) do some shit, heart. No, I don't want to do anything. (laughs) Do it. Fuck off. Fucking do it. (laughs) Fuck off. No. (laughs) This. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody.